Let's skip the throat clearing and dive into part three of Parts Needs Meaning. Quick recap, however, is that we're here to invite awareness about the origins of our subconscious mind's stories and filters and beliefs that are usually getting in the way as we make our way through adulthood. So what we get curious about is the specificity and the details and the granularity of how exactly these, basically these synapses got connected in our minds. So parts is the framework of seeing our psyche as a multiplicity of parts, a family of parts. And these parts are created oftentimes in childhood through adverse experiences, through challenging experiences. And the parts try to make meaning of those experiences through trying to get needs met. So if you haven't listened to the first two parts of this three-part series about parts and needs, then definitely check those out where we spotlight parts and needs. Now, meaning, of course, all these three are symbiotically intertwined. But let's spotlight meaning-making. And at the end of this episode, we will put a bow on all of this but thank you for your your attention and interest in in getting into some of this granularity so meaning making is what humans do all the time we are meaning making machines and of course meaning is a need we have to create stories to create a meaningful life right that's what we crave at our core it's essential to to create meaning however how often are we unconsciously creating meaning about specific events and creating meaning on autopilot and automatic meaning making is happening right so if we can raise our consciousness to put space between stimulus and response right to witness the event and consciously, volitionally choose a response to that event. Choose what story we are going to tell or simply not choose a story. If there's no story that's, that's valuable to tell, maybe we just want to be present and witnessing and observing the, the present moment and what is actually happening with our sense data. So this meaning-making mechanism is really valuable, A, as an adult, to, to build that skill, to build that volitional space between stimulus and response skill to, to slow down, in a sense, kind of like, like the Matrix when everything slows down and the, the bullets are firing, but Neo is able to, to block them and, and not be affected by that right? We can slow down reality or our perception of it and say, what story am I going to choose? You know, um, a great example is when you are in a text message conversation with somebody and it could be something mundane or something serious, but then there's this asynchronous, asynchronous, um, communication. So you're waiting for the person's response. So it's very easy in the modern world I find that we make meaning about what someone's saying or what they're not saying 
or the length it takes them to respond. We create stories. Oh, this this woman didn't reply back to me in the past three days. Therefore, she is X. Therefore, it means she doesn't care about me. So if you make these assumptions, that's just sort of a, a more colloquial understanding example of what meaning making we might make, what meaning we might make in everyday life that holds us back. When in reality, we don't actually have any proof for what, for what it means that all you know is that this person did not ping you on your phone. That's all you know. So you can raise your consciousness and choose to be present with what is rather than making additional stories that might get in the way. And so, of course, a lot of those stories might be coming from the stories we already have programmed in our subconscious mind from our childhood experience and younger years. So the meaning making we create in particular events can kind of wire in to become an ongoing belief. So if, let's take the example of, of a man who is pursuing a woman in a relationship as an adult, right? And you have this automatic, maybe you have this automatic subconscious meaning making about what, that this person doesn't care about me. That might come up from the subconscious mind. Could come from the conscious mind as well, but let's just spotlight the subconscious part of you might have this automatic, perhaps trauma response when the person is, when the woman is not responding to you or not replying to you as fast as you expected could could trigger sort of an anxious attachment state, right? And anxious attachment, I would just say is a cluster of beliefs that this part of you has about connection, about being cared for, about closeness, about intimacy and so forth that often might go down to your relationship with your mother. So, this is where we get to the roots of this stuff. So what meaning did you assign certain experiences growing up with your mother, let's say? And those particular meanings you created could, could sort of calcify into ongoing beliefs, sustained beliefs that are wired in if the, if the event is impactful enough. So for a more um, strong example, if... You know, you had a tough experience as a young child where mom just left for two weeks for some reason. Maybe she's not stable. Maybe she maybe she needed to go to work on a trip for two weeks. And you really reacted to that. You experienced that in a certain way. Let's say you're let's say you're six years old, or maybe you're four years old, maybe you're two years old. But just trying to give an example here. If mom left for two weeks and that was really impactful for you, you might create a story that women don't care about me. Now, this is all unconscious. It's not like uh, six-year-olds are having an active conscious conversation. I mean, maybe there's somebody who's doing that, but essentially it's an unconscious inner dialogue for the, that the six-year-old is having with himself. And it might not even be verbal. It might not even be the actual words are happening in his mind, but rather it's the concept. It's the sense of it. And it kind of gets wired in this concept 
remember, concepts are separate things than actual language. You can have the same concept in different languages. So the actual words don't matter as much. It doesn't necessarily uh, matter if if the the child is saying the words in his or her head. But or in this case, in this example, it would be a boy saying that, right? So it, just the concept, the, the notion of it kind of gets baked in because you are trying to make sense of why mom is gone for two weeks. You're trying to get needs met. You're trying to get needs met for clarity and understanding, which I oftentimes clarity and understanding are the two big ones, which I, I talked about in the last episode. We're trying to make sense of reality. And a quick fix for that is to make it about yourself. Make it about yourself. So you make meaning that women don't care about me. Now, is that rational? Of course not. But it is an attempt to get needs met as a child when you don't necessarily have the capacity to fully fully connect all the dots for why mom's gone. Even if she said, like, I need to do this for this reason and that reason, maybe it's just you couldn't really, for whatever environmental reason, you couldn't really understand why she was gone for two weeks. And that could have been impactful to you. And you created a story and your nervous system might have had certain um, adrenaline or fear kind of spike that you end up associating with with this story and with the experience of a woman not being there for you. So this is the, the granular detail level of specificity that I would say is contributing to what one might call anxious attachment. Now, this is a soft science. I mean, not saying I can prove this empirically, but it seems clear to me that when we say something like anxious attachment, that's a, a more broad concept for specific neurological pathways, right? That's what our, our body is, is electrical, like neurological impulses um, moving through our body to to wire our our brain, right? And our nervous system. So the, spe- the specific beliefs, create, um, can there can be many beliefs that c- come together to create a cluster that then kind of is labeled and categorized as anxious attachment. But at the granular, granular level, there's specific beliefs. So one could be women don't care about me in this example. And there could be all sorts of other beliefs that are related to women, that are related to mom, that are related to people that contribute to that adult experience of feeling anxious when this adult woman in your adult life didn't reply back to you for three days and then you feel anxious and then you start cycling stories. You start cycling stories that are because they're, they're stimulating these parts of you that are holding on to the, the past created stories. So what I want to spotlight now is, well, first of all, let me, let me just finish that thought real quick about different beliefs in the, this particular example of a particular, particular belief cluster. So women don't care about me could be one or it could be also a sense that people don't care about me. It could be a sense that nobody cares about me. It could be a sense that I'm not good enough. It could be a sense that I'm not valuable enough. It could be these self-worth beliefs. There could be beliefs about other people. It could be beliefs about women. Women don't care about my needs. My needs don't matter. Um, intimacy isn't safe, right? 
that's just a possibility of of types of beliefs that could come up in in terms of say romantic relationship although I, I guess i would say intimacy isn't safe is often more in our example it's more of like an avoidant attachment um let's turn away from from being close to people but i digress and we can probably get into attachment styles in the future future podcast episodes but um if you haven't if you haven't dived into that I definitely encourage you to to kind of to get familiar with it so yeah we have a whole cluster of beliefs that are formed because we had experiences uh in relationship to our our mom in this example that end up getting wired in to our subconscious mind to the parts of ourselves and we did that because we were trying to get our needs met and that's just the body is holding on to that the nervous system is holding on to that as you're an adult as you're 25 35 years old if you haven't processed that, the body is holding on to it. So the physiological reaction occurs again when the woman is not there, you know, in this example. The woman is not, in your perception, the woman is not showing up for you. So the the adrenaline kicks in, the trauma response kicks in. And at this point, I want to spotlight that difference between observation and story, observation and evaluation. Marsha Rosenberg said the highest form of intelligence is the ability to observe without evaluating. So if we can make that distinction, then we're empowered. And of course, if a child is invited and supported in learning the skill of making this distinction between observation of sense data and the stories one creates, then that's incredibly, incredibly empowering to be able to make that and, and embody that highest form of intelligence, right? But let's, let's, let's really zoom in on what does that mean? What is the difference between observing and evaluating? Okay, well, let's say, let's take a new example here. Um, you walk in to your home after, after you get home at the end of the day, you have a few roommates and there is a bunch of stuff laundry on the table. Okay. That is sense data. You walk through the door, you see laundry on the table. I guess more technically, you would see clothing on the table. And a story you might create, an evaluation you might create is my roommates don't value me, right? That's an assumption. That's a story. Oh, my, my roommates don't, don't consider me. They don't consider my space. They don't care about me having a, a calm dinner with nice set table because there's all this stuff on the table. It's getting in the way. It's, I don't get to have my peace and serenity. Therefore, my roommates don't consider me. Therefore, my roommates don't value me. Okay. You see the distinction there between observation and evaluation? You have no proof that your roommates don't care about you or, or, or um, they don't value you. They don't want to consider you. What you saw with your eyes is clothing on a table. And then a story was, was hatched in your mind. If we go to a childhood example, let's go back to what we said last week about kid comes home from school with um, a failing grade on the report card and dad gets upset at him. Okay, let's break that down. The actual sense data is 
child looked at piece of paper and saw the letter F on a page. Now, even more specifically, he saw lines on a page, right? He saw ink on a piece of paper with his eyeballs. That is the sense data. Then he saw dad scrunch up his his eyebrows and his forehead and open his mouth. He heard dad say sounds. Then maybe the sounds were, go to your room. Now, he heard these sounds and he heard a certain tonality and inflection. And that's the sense data. Now, sure, you could say, that, oh, there's certain types of tonality that's just like instinctual for humanity and for a child to interpret and like naturally like, oh, this tonality is means that there's danger and this, this tonality means there's safety. I mean, sure, but like if we're really getting technical, I'm just trying to get like really precise here is that the tonality doesn't technically mean anything. We are hearing, if we really slow down matrix style, right, what is actually coming in to our sense data, um, to our five senses, what sense data is actually coming in is the meaning, of the, the, the idea of, of danger actually coming in to our five senses, or is it a sound coming into our five senses, or sound, a sound, a sight, a sensation, a taste, a smell? We actually just experience the world through five senses. So you, in this example, the kid hears dad's tonality and inflection. He sees dad's facial expressions and that's the data. And he sees the the lines on the paper. Now, again, it's totally understandable to, to make quick assumptions that this line means F and F means bad or whatever. These are things that are, we're indoctrinated with through these systems especially in this in this case, the school system is saying, this is what the meaning of this line on this paper is. And then dad's facial expression and tonality, you as a child are interpreting that rapidly to try to stay safe, to try to maintain attachment, all the things to try to get these needs met. But we're, when we're spotlighting here, here in this, this, this episode on meaning making is what actually is the difference between meaning and sense data? So if we really can break it down, the fundamental level is that you're seeing things, you're seeing objects, you're seeing people, you're seeing, you're seeing what you're seeing, and then you are hearing what you're hearing. You're hearing sounds. Now, the actual stories about what the tonality means, those things are, are added on, they're mapped on. Now, one kind of level up from this, in this example, you're going to have the kid is going to feel feelings in his body as well. Let's say it's a fear response to dad's facial expressions and tonality. Now, of course, that fear itself is because the kid interpreted the facial expressions and tonality to mean danger, which again is totally understandable, but we're just saying very objectively what happened. The kid made meaning. Now he's feeling fear because he made meaning of what he just saw. And now he could make meaning about the fear. He could make meaning about the sensations in his body. And this whole experience, again, this is like slow motion of like all this is happening rapidly in real time, right? But the kid could make meaning about the feelings in his body. You know, he goes to his room and he's still feeling that adrenaline and that fear. And then you see processing what just happened, but all at the unconscious level. And then he might wire in a belief failure is not safe. 
or if I fail, I'll lose love, or the way to maintain connection is to not fail, or different variations on that concept. Because he doesn't want to experience that fear again. He doesn't want to experience it, or maybe it's just shame. Again, those sensations, those came up from meeting making, and then he made meeting about those sensations. Again, this is happening super fast. But the point here is just to give you really clear and granular understanding about how we wire in stories that end up attaching in to these parts of us and they get stored in the body and they filter our reality for years to come. Now, it doesn't have to be like that. It's if you have a, a healthy um, adult figure who then comforts you right after this event happens or a family friend or or even or even mom and dad themselves, they they calm down and they process things and they repair they repair the rupture of attachment that just happened and you might soothe your nervous system in that moment they might help you do that and you don't end up calcifying that that story and you kind of let it go in the moment because it, it's repaired um, but so often in our culture because of these conventional parenting and schooling paradigms we we don't get that chance to repair and restore and these things get stuck in our bodies. And so in, until we start actually communicating with the parts of us as adults, communicating with these child parts of ourselves and processing these emotions and letting go of these stories, then it just gets stuck. It just gets stuck. This is, this is our trauma responses are wired in from these types of events. And of course, if you have these events repeatedly, you have all sorts of different variations on these events. We get thousands of stories. Who knows how many stories are in a subconscious mind, depending on our, our level of challenging experience growing up. We can have just clusters and clusters and clusters of stories around self-worth, around failure, and fear of failure, fear of success, around work ethic, around money, all these things. But I just wanted to spotlight here, what is what exactly is meaning-making? We're always trying to make sense of things. But in reality, the things that happen don't mean anything intrinsically. Literally, nothing that happens. I mean, tell me how I'm incorrect about this. Anything that happens in reality, does it have intrinsic meaning? Does it have intrinsic meaning? You saw a sunset. Now, is it intrinsically the case that the sunset means beauty is happening? Or is it there's colors that you see? Now, again, it's a. I think it's totally worthwhile to create that meaning that it's a beautiful experience. You're having a, watching a sunset with your with your sweetheart, holding hands. Totally, go for it. Make meaning about that. <laughs> That's a beautiful moment. That's we're just getting philosophical here. Does it actually mean anything when you see an, a wave in the ocean? Does the wave in the ocean mean anything? When you drop your ice cream cone, it falls on the ground. Does it mean anything? When you see a basketball fall through a net, a basketball hoop, does it intrinsically mean anything? Or does it mean that the team gets two points during this game only because everyone's creating a story? about, okay, here's this game. We're going to play this game called basketball. And whenever 
the ball goes in and you're standing in this spot and you shoot the ball in through this hole and goes through this net, then it means two points. Everyone agrees to that? Cool. Okay, you just got it in. You just made a basket, two points for you. Well, it doesn't intrinsically mean that. It just it just means that because you created a story. So this is this opportunity to really slow down again, slow down instant replay of what actually is happening in reality. So we we as children very quickly make meaning because we don't learn that we can engage our volition to understand the difference between meaning and observation. I think this has never really happened substantially in human history, which is why I'm so, one reason I'm so lit up about this topic is it's a chance for humans to raise consciousness, to become more, more in that true self rather than that in that lizard brain automatic response to things in the amygdala we can engage the neocortex and say the prefrontal cortex and say what is actually happening to think to choose to think as nathaniel brandon said in the psychology of self-esteem that we all have the choice to think or not to think so civilization our culture when it comes to children was left and right, children's minds are being molded and, and domesticated to listen to the authority figure. Listen to the parent, listen to the priest, listen to the professor, listen to the policeman, listen to the politician. So we don't get a chance to actualize our independence. Slash, adults are not teaching us, sharing with us, and empowering us and supporting us in developing that skill of volitional understanding. So not only are adults not encouraging this in children, they're doing the opposite. They're discouraging it by teaching obedience to authority. And so our our minds are not nurtured and nourished and supported in really choosing to make sense of things. So this stuff gets this is the, you know, the trauma that gets stored in our bodies. And now the invitation is to take a step back and just be honest and be compassionate with ourselves and what's and ask ourselves what's going on inside of my of my system here my psyche and to be in that state of self-acceptance for what what is um and just and love that and then choose to take responsibility and say how can i empower myself to integrate these parts of myself these parts of myself that chose to create meaning to try to get needs met when I was in a powerless situation oftentimes. And if we do that, then we can, we can dialogue with these parts to, to realize that those stories served you at the time, but they don't serve you anymore, do they? Maybe served you to believe failure isn't safe in the, in the short term. Served you to believe, to believe I'm not good enough to try to get some sense of how things work and to try to, to get some short-term comfort perhaps, but is that serving you now? And to actually connect to the part of you that made the meaning and realize, Hey, Hey, little guy. Hey, little gal. Are you open to the possibility of this not being the absolute truth about life? Just because dad made this facial expression that I'm not good enough. Maybe that's not true. Just because dad made this facial expression. Just because dad spoke this way, maybe it was about him. Maybe it was about his 
trauma. See, now as now that we're adults, we can understand these things better. We can see maybe dad, when when he was in that moment, speaking to you like that, when you got that F on your report card, maybe that's his projection. Because when he was a little kid, he had that similar experience and he didn't process that. And he had an unconscious trauma response. And now we can invite this this really wide sense of compassion for this cycle of trauma. And we can start to let go and realize, oh wait, that that experience, that didn't really mean I'm not good enough. Now again, in order to actually do this integration healing work, it's essential to connect to the part of you, to dialogue with this part of you, not just not, not just talk about consciously, but talk about it at the subconscious level. So thank you for your your sustained attention on this. I know it's it's very specific and detailed. And maybe you want to take some notes or you want to go back and re-listen. I'm, I'm a big fan of re-listening to podcasts, rereading books. So maybe you want to go back and, and listen to this series again, if this is of interest to you. But the, the point at the end of the day is how do we, how do we integrate so that we can become half healthier, happier and more whole and return to our, our true self of curiosity, creativity, empowerment, authenticity, honesty and safety and let go of this this conditioning and domestication that we received through this cycle of trauma that's unconsciously passed down generation to generation. And as we do that, one one neural pathway at a time, right, then uh, we empower ourselves and the people around us, and we literally evolve humanity. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>